Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Springbrook. Um, today we're going to be reading our scripture from Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3, if you would like to follow along. So verse 1 says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I gave you a short one since you went to youth camp. You're welcome. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we we thank you. um, I'm, I'm grateful for this room even though it frustrates me at times. Um, I'm grateful. Uh, thank you for the chance to be together, to gather together with uh, these people who I love so dearly. Uh, I pray in these next few minutes that you would um, maybe unpack some things in our heart that would free us up and allow us to hear from you in a new way, maybe a different way through the Psalms. I pray for the next few weeks that you would just like cover our weeks in the Psalms, that you would quiet our hearts, that you would slow us down so that we uh, could hear from you, so that we could um, feel the move of your spirit in us, your presence in us. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, So if you are new with us at the Vineyard, uh, we do something every summer uh, where we take uh, a month or so and we just spend um, a few weeks in a row in the Psalms on purpose uh, every single summer. It's like all together, we just wanna take one big intentional deep breath. And so we do that over a couple of weeks, like a big intentional rest uh, every single summer. Um, and, and I think I start this series the same way. So if you've been around us for a while, today may feel a little bit like a review session. Um, but I really think to get all that we can out of the Psalms over the next couple of weeks, um, then it's really important for us to talk a little bit about the Psalms, about what we're going to uh, work with, what we're engaging with uh, in the book of Psalms. Um, because the Psalms are a little bit different uh, than reading or studying other books of the Bible. Uh, Unlike a lot of the other scriptures, the Psalms are written um, by... lots of different authors. Uh, Mostly David wrote the Psalms. You usually hear him quoted as the Psalms, but David didn't write all of them. Um, He did write 70 or more of them, but uh, also Moses, Solomon. uh, There's two guys, Ethan and Heman, the Ezraites. Asaph, who Asaph is David's worship leader. He wrote a handful. Um, 
the Cora family wrote 11, and then there are dozens and dozens, like 50, uh, that don't have an author attributed to them that we don't know who wrote. Uh, and so that's a little different than engaging one book of the Bible written by one um, person, because we get a little different personality and flavor and things like that. Um, and then also, the Psalms aren't written primarily as uh, informational text or historical text, but they are um, very unapologetically and very intentionally poetry and prayers and songs. And so we should read poetry and prayers and songs different than we read um, other kinds of things. They are rich in story and rich in metaphor and nuance and imagery and depth. Um, so when, when I think about this, I, I was in Barnes and Noble last week and um, I was actually buying a book to help me with the Psalm series. And I ran into my uh, very favorite teacher of all time, Miss Freeman. And um, <laughs> she, I ran into her at Barnes and Noble and I felt very good about that because she was my English teacher. So I wanted her to know I still read, you know? And so uh, I ran into her and I remember this illustration. I used it a few years ago. Um, but anyway, so this helps me understand why the Psalms maybe are a little bit tricky for us to engage. Has anyone ever read the poem, The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams? Anyway, thank you, thank you. Okay, okay. Um, when I was in Miss Freeman's class in high school, when I was in her English class, we read um, the, this poem and we spent, I can't remember if it was an entire day or two days. So there's a chance we spent three hours uh, talking about what this poem meant. And that was her only question. We read it and then she said, what does this poem mean? I'm gonna read the poem to you, Colin. I think we have a slide for it. Here's the poem. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's it, that's the whole poem, okay? 16 words, 16 words, that's how many words. We spent three hours on 16 words um, as 15 year olds trying to impress our teacher by answering the question, what is this poem about? Would anyone like to guess? I'll tell you, the excellent guess, Red Wheelbarrow. Uh, I can tell you that it is not about a Red Wheelbarrow, um, apparently. Um, it is not about a Red Wheelbarrow in the rain close to some chickens. That's not what the poem is about. Um, and that's incredibly confusing, right? It's even called the Red Wheelbarrow. Like, it's incredibly confusing. I'm a poetry lover. Like, I, I dig it. I love it. I love nuance. I love imagery. I, I love it. But sometimes poems, I think, tend to feel like a big trick. Like, oh, we read this one thing, but you actually meant us to read this other thing. And the poets, they kind of feel like pranksters. Like, you thought this poem was about a red wheelbarrow, but actually it's about economic injustice in the Northeast, which is actually what it's about, I think. I Googled it again just to be sure. Um, but I do think that that's what this poem's about. So, um, that's sometimes, I think, how the Psalms can feel for plenty of us in the room. Um, they feel like something we're supposed to love, something we're supposed to engage with, but sometimes maybe they feel, especially for our more logical people, um, they feel a little bit overwhelming or uh, we don't know where to start or, or they say confusing things. Um, for example, uh, Psalm 19 uh, tells the reader, tells you to eat your Bible. The literal original language translation says, eat the Torah. And that's like, are you, are you really supposed to? Like, is it, you know, do you put paper in your mouth? I don't know. Uh, Psalm 148 uh, in some translations invites dragons to praise the Lord, which, you know, will just cover everybody. Like, 
Are dragons real? I don't know. You do some research. Psalm 148. Um, there are lines of the Psalms that are really straightforward and obvious in their meaning. Um, there's, there is information in the Psalms, but there's also so many things that are filled with like imagery and nuance. And they are multi-layered, multi-leveled poems and prayers and songs. And I think uh, that it is dishonoring to people and I would argue dishonoring to the Psalms um, not to own the fact that they can be a little bit tricky. Like, like they just are. So, so they require some teaching and they require some training um, because there's a lot packed into them, packed into each little line. Each little line kind of serves like a spiral staircase, taking us uh, deeper and deeper into the words, into the heart of the writer. Not like in a com- more complicated way, but deeper into meaning and, and, and impact on your life. Uh, so I think assuming that we all just know how to read the Psalms isn't very kind. And I think it keeps many of us from learning how to engage the Psalms or enjoy the Psalms. Uh, So if you have ever been confused or intimidated or overwhelmed or underwhelmed um, by the Psalms, you are not crazy. Uh, You are not bad. You are not a bad Jesus follower because of that. Uh, It just means you're normal. It means you're a person and maybe not a poet. Um, uh, I have a quote for this that I love. Colin, I think we have a slide for it. Um, The Jewish uh, theologian, Michael Fishbane, he says this um, about reading the Psalms. He says, everything depends on how we read, on how we read, on how we enter the magic circle of a text meaning on how we smuggle ourselves into its words and allow the texture of a text to weave its web around us. I love that. That's how we engage the Psalms. It feels like we have to smuggle ourselves into a text, uh, allow the texture of it to weave its web around us. Um, Now this may make the Psalms feel like they are a lot of work, um, but please hear me. I think they're worth it. I think they're worth Uh, the work. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to, uh, in the rest of our time, give you two lenses um, that have helped me to read the Psalms in a new way, have helped me to kind of engage uh, the text a little bit. Um, So we're going to, I'm just going to tell you these two lenses. And then as we do it, we'll put them into practice because um, I very much need to practice uh, what I hear. It helps me to practice, like we say in Passing the Peace, helps me to practice in this space, what I want to try to do outside of the space. Um, So we'll do that uh, together. So Here is the first one, the first lens that helps me read the psalm. Again, this may be a review for some of you, but I think it's so helpful. So um, it comes from a brilliant thinker and Old Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, um, which I think if you have a lot of letters in your name and there's two Gs next to each other, it just means you're like really good theologian, right? So Walter Brueggemann, um, he wrote a book called The Message of the Psalms. It's a, a short book. I've recommended it before. I love it. It's a short book. It's really, really dense though, but if you're looking for a deep dive on the Psalms. This is a good one. But here's the most helpful thing from the book. This is your um, Cliff Notes version. Um, for me, the most helpful thing is that uh, what Brueggemann does is he offers a way to categorize the Psalms into three different helpful categories. And they are these categories. There are Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And all of the Psalms fit somewhere in these categories. Some, you know, the first part might share a different category than the second part, but they all fit uh, somewhere. So essentially this, in the book of Psalms, there are songs and prayers and poems of orientation. 
Songs and prayers and poems that are meant to, um, to orient us. They're about creation, about where we come from. They are psalms of worship and belonging, our standing before God. Uh, psalms that serve as foundations of what we believe about God uh, and about the scriptures and about how all of those things collide with the world. And then there are also psalms of disorientation, uh, songs written about, um, it, or about or in the loss of identity or in seasons of life that are confusing or feel hopeless or don't make any sense. Uh, songs written from a, sp- a place of mental and spiritual confusion, maybe a place of sadness or lament. Uh, I usually relate most with those songs. Um, and then there are uh, the third category, psalms of reorientation or new orientation, uh, reminders of what's coming. Reminders of hope, of rescue, of renewal, songs about new creation and resurrection, um, of of where we're going, the path into hope and into freedom. Beautiful reminders uh, that disorientation was never supposed to be the end of the story. It isn't the end of our story as people of God. In these categories, they are so helpful to me because they help me figure out what I'm reading. Um, If this is too basic, uh, please forgive me, but one of my great struggles with the church is that we spend a lot of time talking about what to do, but we spend very little time talking about literally how to do it. Um, I need like the, these, these, this is, when you leave, this is exactly what you need to do. Um, so uh, when I sit down, this is how I literally do this, this categorizing. When I sit down uh, to read a Psalm, then I read it through and then um, I ask this exact question. Uh, it, where, what kind of Psalm is it? Is it a Psalm orienting me? Is it a psalm of disorientation? Is it, is it um, again, those are the ones I relate to a lot. Or is it a psalm of reorientation? A song of, of is it trying to tell me what I'm looking toward? Um, a place that I uh, want to be going. And, and so this, this helps me. It helps me to know what I'm reading and then apply it to my life uh, in, the, in the category that it is. So here's an example. Um, I'm going to read to you a little bit out of Psalm 109. Um, This is a psalm written by David, and um, he's a little bit mad at someone. I think you'll pick up on that, Um, but we're going to look at it and then put it in a category. So Psalm 109, uh, verse 8, it says, Let his years be few. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. That's in there. (laughs) Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all of his offspring die. May his family name be blotted out in the next generation and may his name disappear from human memory. That's in the Bible. That's a song. If I were to read this, Psalm 109, as if it is like an inspirational thing or an aspirational thing or a prescriptive thing that we're supposed to uh, apply to our life, a psalm of orientation or a psalm of reorientation, um, as if it's God's plan for someone who crosses David or or David's business to carry out these things, then I'm going to really miss what the psalm is about. 
right? If I read, well, let no one be kind to him, then it's like, well, now I don't have to be kind to the people I don't like. You know, it, it, when we read it in its uh, wrong category, it, um, it can help. We, we don't just miss maybe what the psalm is about. It also, there's a risk that we could justify some pretty horrific things. You know of these things. We have justified horrific things all throughout history because of the Bible. This is why, because we read things out of their proper context, so to speak. So uh, what, what, what is more likely for me is not that I'm going to read this and be like, oh yes, I'm going to uh, uh, curse everybody um, that no one would be kind to them. Um, for the most part, what would happen is I would read something like Psalm 109. I wouldn't have really understood it. And then I'm probably just not going to ever read it again. Like, okay, I read it. I checked it off the list. I've read that Psalm and, um, and I'm not going to read it again. Or maybe I'd find like one verse to pull out and put on Instagram. So, you know, I read my Bible or, you know, something like that. Um, But, uh, so that's normally how I would have engaged this. But when I put this psalm into the category of disorientation, it becomes a whole new thing. It, It becomes a web that I have in my life that I have more than once found myself in. Uh, None of us in this room want to admit out loud that we have ever thought or felt any of these things toward another human being. But David did. And he wrote it down. And I have, and you have, some of you toward a driver on your way to church or toward the roads in Springbrook because they're all closed, every one of them. (laughs) We have felt this way. And when we read the psalm in its right category, it feels, it kind of goes from feeling like a misplaced hate letter psalm to uh, a, a description of what it feels like to be a person to be a human, how it feels to be betrayed or inconvenienced or demoted or belittled or stolen from or embarrassed by or hurt by someone else. Psalm 109 is a psalm about that feeling inside all of us that that responds to um, someone hurting us by wishing worse pain on them. Ever been there? I have. That thing inside us that's like, you hurt me, I want you to hurt way worse than I am. No one be kind to him. That thing, it's in us. And reading it this way is incredibly helpful for me because it gives me a place to go, a holy place to go when I get that mad. Uh, It's the beauty of the Psalms. There are 150 poems, songs, and prayers that allow us to offer to God our hopes and dreams and hurts and experiences and angers in his own words, right? This is me angry using the words of God, giving those words back to him in his own language, his words for where we are. Does this kind of make sense? A little? Two of you? Great. Okay. Um, Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. I hope those are helpful uh, categories. Second lens. Um, that has helped me when engaging the Psalms. This uh, second lens comes from a voice uh, quite dear to me, if you know me well, uh, Eugene Peterson, who is 
um, a, a pastor and writer. He wrote the message version of the Bible, if, if, you, if you've ever looked at that. Um, and he wrote a book called Answering God um, that is so good. If you've ever asked me for a book on the Psalms, this is probably the one I've told you to get. Answering God by Eugene Peterson. He wrote in the 80s. It still holds up today. It's, it's short and, and it's essentially how to use the Psalms to learn how to pray them, how, how to use them as a prayer tool. Um, and he says something. Peterson says um, that before the Psalms are anything, they are part of something. Uh, part, before the Psalms are anything on their own, they are part of a group, part of the entirety of Scripture, part of the layers and the stories of the entire Bible. This may seem uh, really simple, um, but learning how to take a step back and see the Psalms as part of something, something bigger than one verse or one chapter, it's been super helpful to me in learning how to incorporate them uh, into my life. It helps me um, learn how to discover whether, uh, what category to put them in. If I can take a step back and see them as part of something that's it's like, oh, you know, sometimes it'll tell you, you know, David wrote this after this happened. And so it kind of helps you to put it in its proper category. It also helps me in learning how to incorporate the Psalms into uh, my prayers. Uh, here's an example of what I mean. Um, when we first learn how to talk, uh, our language, our words, they are drenched in layers and layers and layers of genes and traditions and culture and experience. Uh, for example, toddlers in the North, they, they don't learn to say someone is nice. They learn to say someone is nice, right? But if you're from the South like me, then you learn to say, get me a cup of ice not a cup of ice, right? So there's like genes and cultures and, 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 and experience and tradition layered uh, into our words. Uh, Peterson says, our words carry the unique experience of generations in them. And the Psalms, they exist in this same stream of thinking. They are infused with layers and layers and layers of genetics, traditions, cultures, all woven into them. Each Psalm carries with it the experience of generations. The generations before it was written, the tradition of the writer and the generations that have been reading it since then. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of mercy and grace and judgment and creation and fear and hope and kingdom, this exists within each word of the Psalms. Before they become anything to us, the Psalms exist as part of something filled with layers worth uncovering in their verses and words, as well as what their layers uh, will uncover in us. When we learn to use the Psalms as our own prayers, when we learn to pray the Psalms, I think two things uh, happen in us. The first is we enter into thousands of years of experience of what it's like to be the people of God. And the second thing is thousands of years of experience of what it's like to be the people of God enter into us. If you feel disconnected from God, from the huge story, the Psalms are a wonderful place to go because not only do you get to enter into what has already happened, what already happened enters into you. Uh, Peterson says when we engage the Psalms uh, that many of us are looking for a nice little prayer book to put on our bedside table. And honestly, they can be that. That's the beauty of it. The Psalms, they can be a bedside prayer. They can be a, a coffee mug quote. That's why they're on so many coffee mugs because they can absolutely be that. But 
I think the Psalms have something better and deeper to offer us. What exists in this book are layers of life and layers of theology worked out in the real world by real people. Layers and layers of people, their names, their experiences. If we uh, want to engage the Psalms to read them for all that they're worth uh, in the layers that lay on the lines in front of us, uh, then, then it's worth seeing all of those stories, worth engaging all of those stories. So uh, for our last three minutes, um, I want to do this together. I want to put that into practice together. Um, Chad already read Psalm 31, 131 for us. Um, and so I wanna read it again. Um, uh, the, the reason we did this today is I, I'd use this app uh, a lot of times uh, to spend time with Jesus in the morning at night called Lectio. If you've ever heard of it, great. If not, and you're looking like, I wish I spent time with Jesus, but I don't really know how. This Lectio app is awesome. If you can't find it, text me and I'll, I'll send it to you. But um, uh, Psalm 131 comes up like twice a week in this app. And, and so I've been reading it over and over and over again. It's taken me a while to figure out what it says. But uh, when I first read it, what, what Chad read, it really, I think, sounds like a Psalm that D David wrote a poem about how great he is and a little bit about how great God is. Um, so here, let me read it again to you. Uh, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child, my soul is within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Doesn't it sound like he's kind of bragging about his own humility in a job interview? Like, um, what's your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is that I'm too humble and I don't concern myself with things too lofty for me to grasp. <laughs> like, uh, that's how it feels on the surface level. In the first reading, I feel like David's like, here's the stuff I do, now go be like me. Uh, it, it seems like one of those things, like in the Bible, where the Bible tells us um, to, to what we should be like, if that makes sense, like instructions on how to be like David. But uh, we, when we engage the psalm with the tools that we talked about today, we see a couple of things. When we kind of start to walk down that spiral staircase, uh, when we remember David and his life and his story, uh, David is, to steal a term from Brennan Manning, a bundle of paradoxes. There are times in his life when he is the picture of this kind of humility that he wrote about. He, he, uh, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. He is a leader of freedom, a courageous soldier who took down a giant with a couple of rocks, same David, a leader of an entire nation. And also he's a coward. At one point, David legitimately fakes a mental illness to dodge a king that's mad at him. He, he, he's, he's a man who got another man killed because he got his wife uh, pregnant. That feels a little bit like concerning himself with things beyond his control. He, he's a bundle of paradoxes. And so if we take a step down the staircase, if we uh, smuggle ourselves into the words of Psalm 131, uh, we see them in their place, layered with their culture and tradition and story, uh, then maybe it isn't so much a story about a red wheelbarrow, so to speak, about just how humble David is, but, but it helps us to see this is not just a Psalm about how to be like David, uh, but instead it's a Psalm of reorientation, a Psalm that David had a song of his own to remind him of his own identity, 
to remind him of the God, of, of who God is making him to be, of where God is calling him and where God's inviting him to be. Rather than a, a prescription, be like this, this psalm is like a chant or a mantra, a chorus to be repeated as often as anyone needs it. I, I like that it's short, memorizable. It's a chant, this, this is who I wanna be. This is who I set out to be, humble and not proud, able to quiet the hurricane, the, the shame spiral inside me so that I can rest in the arms of the father as a baby rests in the arms of their mother. It's hilarious to me that I'm preaching about this today because this morning when I came in and the air was basically not fixed from last week, I was livid and so frustrated. And then we couldn't find the fans and blah, blah, blah. And I, I saw Brittany at one point and she said, are you okay? And I said, I am trying to find a new attitude. Do you have one? Like anywhere. Because I, I, I wasn't feeling like a baby resting in his mother's arms. I wasn't feeling particularly humble. And I wanted to concern myself with things too lofty for my grasp, like HVAC. I needed this today. Uh, this psalm, uh, when we engage it multi-layered, it becomes something that we can live inside or something that can live inside us. A place that we can go in our minds, in our hearts when everything is raging all around us. A good and kind reminder to open our hands that in this world, there are things that exist beyond our control with layers, and, and this psalm exists with layers and layers and layers and layers of history to prove its efficacy, to prove that it works. Layers of history as evidence uh, that it will do what, 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 it, what we read that it will do. A uh, reminder that I believe this, that I want to believe this, that this is where my hope is found and this is where I wait. Psalm 131 goes from a, a, a resume for David uh, to something uh, to say over and over and over again until it becomes part of us in a way that allows us to reorient ourselves to Jesus, which is where I wanna be oriented. The problem is I get real turned around real fast over dumb stuff and big stuff. And so I need reorienting Psalms to bring me back to where I always meant to orient myself. Uh, so for our Selah today, we, we're just gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna just dive back into the Psalms. I think uh, it, if the scriptures have felt overwhelming to you, my, always my first level of advice is just read them over and over and over again. Sometimes it takes a couple of different readings um, to let them really sink in and, and do that. So this time we're gonna uh, read it from the message version because we already talked about Eugene Peterson, so we might as well read how he wrote this psalm. Um, and, and it also sometimes is really helpful to read another translation or another version. Um, so uh, we'll just do it. Uh, and so let's do this. Let's read a psalm of reorientation to bring us back to Jesus. Um, and let's read it with eyes of layers and layers of tradition and genetics woven into it. Um, and allow it to let those things weave their way into us and, um, and allow us to weave ourselves into the layers that are already existing in it. So um, I'm gonna pray for us and then um, we'll just leave the psalm. We'll be quiet and just leave the psalm on the screen. Father, I uh, thank you for a quiet moment. Um, it feels weird to teach 
what feels like a class on the Psalms when they um, feel a little mysterious. Uh, they feel like songs in beauty and wonder and nuance. And so trying to explain them feels almost silly. Um, but I would just ask in these few minutes, will you allow us to, to use these lenses to be able to engage what you might have for us here? Will you open up places in us? Will you reorient us? I think we all come into this room with layers and layers of stories of our week, of illness in this week, surgery in this week, heartbreak and despair in this week. And so will you use these words uh, to reorient us to where we want to look toward you? In your name we pray, amen.